Yivamos, Perak Yud Aleph, Mishnah Zayin, 11.7, the last of the Perak, and one more discussing the situations in which you have a person whose identity is not quite clear and his status. So the first of the two cases in the Mishnah is where Haya Echad Yisrael Ve'echad Kohen. There are two possible fathers, one of whom is a Yisrael, not a Kohen, and one of whom is a Kohen. So again, the case is something like uh, a woman who's married to Mr. A, he was not a Kohen, uh, Mr. A dies. And then she marries Mr. B. She's supposed to wait three months, but she didn't. After two months, she marries Mr. B. And then seven months later, she has a baby. So we're not sure whether this baby is the son of the deceased Mr. A. non-Cohen or of the current husband, who's a Cohen, Mr. B. And that being the case, the rule's going to be, as we've seen before, that will go Suffolk Dorais Lachumra. If we're not sure... How to do halacha will go strict in terms of interpretation for a doraisa, and we'll have the other rules of, for example, hamotzim chaver lavaraya. A person has can't have things extracted from him, monetary things, and without proof, and so on. So here the mishnah is inside. Nosa isha ruuyla kohen. First of all, this guy may be a kohen and maybe not be a kohen, and that being the case, he only can marry women who are eligible to marry kohanim. That would be. The Suffolk, the Raisa, the Chumra. Um, and in fact, um, that would even be true for the Durabanan of the Chalutza. Um, so that means that the four categories of women this person may not marry is the Grusha, divorcee, the Chalutza, the woman who participated in Chalitza, who's like a divorcee, as well as the Zona, um, a woman who participated in an illicit relationship. Included therein is the Gioras, the convert, the convert. And finally, the Chalala, the woman who participated in a forbidden marriage with the Kohen, or is the daughter of such a scenario. Those people can't marry this fellow. And he may not become exposed to Tumas Mace, corpse Tuma. Um, that is to say, since there's an Isra Doraisa on a Kohen to become exposed to the Tuma from a dead body, and this guy may be a Kohen, he can't do that either. Vim Nitma. If he does become Tame, so if he were a Vada Kohen, we knew he was a Kohen for sure, and he had the proper warnings um, and witnesses, then he'd be liable to good old-fashioned lashes um, as a Vadaini Isra Do But here he won't, since maybe he didn't do it. Maybe he is not a Kohen, in which case he's permitted to become exposed to corpse Tuma. And that being the case, Eno Sofeg Esharbaim, he will not literally absorb the 40, a reference to the up to but not including 40 lashes, meaning 39 lashes that the Bezin would administer for the violation of an Isser do Araisa, a Torah prohibition with the proper warning and witnesses. Veino ochel betruma. Furthermore, he may not eat truma, since maybe he's not a Kohen, of course. And the penalty for eating truma as a non-Kohen is severe. Misibidei Vim achal. If he did eat truma, here we're talking beshogeg, he did it inadvertently, didn't know it was truma. So normally the rule is that a person who's not a Kohen who eats truma beshogeg must both return what he essentially stole, because it belongs to the Kohanim, he ate it, it's not his. Um, that's called the Karen, the principal amount. But also he must be most of a Chomish, he adds 25% more, meaning for every four units of Truma that he consumed, he has to now bring a fifth unit, i.e. 25% of the principal, um, in the form of non, you know, of a readily eatable food, which becomes treated like Truma, so he kind of reconstitutes extra Truma. The point is, the requirement to bring Karen the Chomish doesn't apply to him, since maybe he's a Kohen already, and therefore, Eno Mishalem Karen, he did not pay back the principal amount, because if he were a Kohen, he'd be permitted to eat it in the first place, so maybe he didn't steal it at all. Vachomesh, or the 25% surcharge penalty, because maybe he's a Kohen. Ve'en Cholak Al Hagorin, 
like we saw before, he can't go to the threshing floor and collect truma as they're apportioning it out because maybe he's not a Kohen and people should not give it to him since maybe he's not a Kohen. Umocher ha-truma v'adam shalom. If he happens to be a landowner and happens to have produce that he therefore must tithe because the, until he tithes the produce separating trumas and maestras, etc. Um, from it, it's considered to be tevel, not properly tied, so he separates the truma out. But if he were a Kohen, he could just keep the truma for himself. Every Kohen must separate truma, but he could eat it for himself. This guy, maybe he's not a Kohen, so he can't eat it for himself. What could he do? He could sell it to another Kohen. Now, if he were a Kohen, he's within his rights to sell to another Kohen. If he does sell truma that he has, excess truma, to a fellow Kohen, he actually can charge that fellow Kohen, the purchaser for that, because it's his to sell. If, however, he's a Yisrael, he can't sell Truma to a Kohen because not his to sell. So the case for mission is this guy had Truma that he separated from his own produce. He then sells it to some other Kohen. The din is, if he's Mocherit, the Truma, if he sells the Truma, Hadamim Shlo, he can keep the money because, again, Hamotim Machaver Lavarai, there's a burden of proof on the people who are trying to take the money from him that he's not a Kohen. Maybe he is. Veinocholek Bekatsh, excuse me, he may not take a portion of what's being given out there of the sanctified items in the base of Mikdash, meaning even though he's a Kohen, he cannot collect, say, the Oros, the hides that come from the Kachi Kachim as they're separated, the hides from the Olos and, and Chatos, etc. Veinosnol Kachim, we don't give him Kachim, the bartender learns we're talking here about giving him an animal to do the Hakrava, a sacrificial procedure on, or mincha for that matter. We don't do that. Ve'en motzin es shalom yado. If he has kadsha, meaning, for example, he has a bechor that's born to him, we won't take it from him, because maybe it's his, he's entitled to keep it. Upater min hazroa Again, the obligation is that when one butchers a regular non-sacrificial animal, cow, goat, sheep, there's gifts that are given to the kohanim. These gifts, matanos, are referred to as zroa, the front right leg, lechayayim, sort of the cheeks and the tongue, and vekeva, the fourth of the four stomachs, either abomasum or uh, maw, M-A-W, and it's the same thing, and that was the part of the stomach that's used to make cheese. So that's a gift that's given to the Kohen. So he's supposed to give it if a person is not a Kohen, but if a person is a Kohen, he keeps it, and since it's just a financial um issue. There's no prohibition of a non-Kohen eating from the Zerol Lechayim and Keva. Therefore, this guy can keep it for himself because a Motsim Mechaver Lavaraya, who says it's, he can't keep it, and he certainly can eat it because no problem with eating it. If he has a Bechor, a firstborn male cow, goat, or sheep, so he can't bring it as a Korban and eat it, because he can't eat it, and he can't even give it to a Kohen and then ask him for the meat back, because he, maybe he's not a Kohen, and the Kohen wouldn't give it to him. Therefore, what does he do? He takes his Bechor's firstborn animal, he lets it graze in the fields until it develops Ajiyistaev. It develops a, a blemish that's a Mum Kavua, a permanent blemish, at which point it no longer is eligible to be brought as an offering, in which case it now is deconsecrated, and he can eat it um, for himself. He can make a barbecue in his own backyard. Uh, just once he gets that, that confirmed Mum Kavua, the confirmed permanent blemish. And finally, Venos Nalav Chumre Kohanim, Bechumre Yisraelim. The same expression we had, like all the others in the previous couple of ago, that we give him the strictures of both Kohanim and Yisraelim, since we've already sort of elaborated on that throughout the Mishnah. The question is what this comes to add, and the answer is the same as we said before, that when a person brings a mincha, there are two procedures that are followed. If the person is a Kohen, the whole mincha, the whole meal offering is burnt on the Mizbech, and he eats nothing. If the person is not a Kohen, then just a kamitza, a kometz quality, a quantity, like a 
the amount you take with three fingers, based on the volume of, of a finger. That goes on Mizbeach, and the rest of the meal offering is eaten by the Kohanim. Um, so here we have a situation where we're being strict for both. This guy brings a mincha, that offering, number one, will take the Kometz volume of the meal, put that on the Mizbeach as an offering. Um, we won't, because maybe he is a Yisrael, and we won't let him eat the rest of the offering, because maybe he's a Kohen. Um, but there's a separate drasha that you can't, from the word Mimenu, that you can't um, offer the rest of the Mincha after you've offered the Kometz. And therefore, um, after Kometz is done, and they offer that bit, the rest of the Mincha will essentially be burned um, on the base of Deshen, like not on the Mizbeach, not on the altar, but elsewhere, um, so no one can eat it. That's the first case of the Mishnah. The Mishnah has a separate case, which is Hayushneim Kohanim. If both Mr. A and Mr. B were both Kohanim, but this child doesn't know whether his father is Mr. A or Mr. B, but he knows he's certainly a Kohen. So all we set up to now doesn't apply. He's certainly a Kohen, and the rules of Kahuna apply to him. But we'll see there's some nuanced differences. Now, before I get any further, let me just explain for a second that... Well, okay, one second. Here we go. Who own an... Okay, right away. So let me explain. A woman can't marry... Um, uh, excuse me. Uh, a Kohen um, is not allowed to marry a woman if she is a divorcee. Now, we could marry her if she's a widow, but if she's a widow, that means, in our scenario, it would mean that Mr. A died and then Mr. B married this woman. Both are Kohanim, that's fine, but they didn't wait the three months between the death of Mr. A and the marriage to Mr. B. The problem with that is that we'll see in some cases of our Mishnah, right away, we're going to need to have both of the potential fathers alive. And obviously, if the first father died, the first husband died, making her now a widow, he's not around anymore. And if he divorced her, then she things are going to fall apart because the second marriage is invalid and the child would be a halal, and that wouldn't work either. So the Gemara ends up setting up, and it can't be that the first relationship she had with Mr. A was out of wedlock because there's a separate din derabanan, that a Kohen of uncertain lineage, we don't know who his father is, um, if that happens outside of the context of marriage, so then... There's a dinner abundant that that Cohen cannot serve in the base of Mikdash, and therefore that won't work as our Mishnah plays itself out. And therefore the case that the Gemara sets up is something where somehow there's a legal mechanism where the first marriage um, was originally thought to be like a proper marriage, but retroactively it wasn't. Let's say, for example, there was a contingency built in. You know, the first wedding was happened, was effected, but contingent on something that later on turned out to not be the case. So therefore the first marriage is annulled. If it's annulled, and the child was conceived before the annulment, so then the child is born in the context of wedlock, and this dinder bun doesn't apply to him, so therefore you could have two parents alive, the woman not be a divorcee, um, and yet um, he's not prohibited from doing a voda. Okay, so that's the complicated, long story of the background of this case, to work out much of it. So here we go. Hayushneim Kohanim, if this now fellow ends up having two possible fathers, Mr. A or Mr. B, both are Kohanim, but he doesn't know which one of the two is his father, then who own an alehem? He'll have to be strict and and observe the halachas of aninos. Aninos um, is like the first day of mourning uh, over the death of a relative. A kohen is required to not just observe mourning, but on the first day of the death, he's an onen. It's more intense, and an onen is prohibited from doing a vod in the base of English or eating karbanos, which and that is 
something has to be observed for all seven of one's relatives, meaning one's father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter, or spouse. And um, and here we've got the father. So the point is, who owned Nalayim? Each of these two men, when they die, he has to be concerned that that's his real father, and therefore he is an owner, and therefore he's prohibited from serving in the base of English for eating korbanos, and therefore he's allowed to be refrained on those two days, the days of the death of each of those two um, people, and rabbinically it's extended into the nighttime as well. Veheim own a love. Similarly, they who are kohanim will have to observe aninus um, in the event that that uh, this boy dies before they do. So now each one has to assume that he might be the real father. This is a child, requires aninus. Therefore, they both observe um, the onan period and not doing avoda that day of his their, the son's death. Again, here you see that's a scenario where you have to have two fathers alive. Who inumatamalahem? He, the son, may not become tame, exposed to corpse tuma on behalf of either one of them. Meaning, when both Mr. A and Mr. B die, he'll go to the funeral, but he has to keep a distance. He can't become tummy because maybe it's not really his father, in which case it would be an Isra Doraisa for him to become tummy for them. Vehem einen metamen lo. And they similarly don't become tummy for him. They come to his funeral, but if they want to, but they don't have to, they may not become tummy because maybe it's not their son. Who eno yorosh o son, he won't inherit from them. Meaning, Mr. A has three children plus this guy. So, the Yerusha goes three ways, not four ways. He gets nothing because the burner proves on him to prove that he's entitled to get a Yerusha. Avalheim, Yerushin also. But they, the fathers, will inherit him. Meaning, this mystery child dies with a hundred bucks in his bank account and no descendants. So now, who's going to be his heir? So the rule is usually it's your sons. If there are no sons, then it's your father. Now, there's two possible fathers here. And since each one is equally has an equal claim on this hundred dollars, so the rule is that mamon hamutal basafik. If you have money which is um, standing there, no one has possession of it, or maybe the bezin has possession of it, um, but none of the claimants have physical possession. So then the rule is yachaloku. We divide it amongst the claimants fifty-fifty. This is like the old famous mishnah in Bava Matzia, shneim ochsim batalis. If two people are fighting over a talus, they both claim they found it. So you divide it 50-50. So actually the Pshat in the Mishnah is, this is important for our Mishnah, I mean, whatever, this, this is important for the ruling as well, which is whatever they are holding in their hands, they get to keep 100% of. But the, because that's Hamotzim Chavir Lavaraya. Since they hold it with possession, they have possession of it, so then the burden of proof is the one who wants to take it from their hands. But the part that's between the two of them, that neither one holds, which is analogous to our case here, the $100 that is now sitting, so to speak, in, in probate, you know, with the with the Bezdin, how to allocate it, so um, then they will divide it, the Bezdin will divide it 50-50, um, because Mamun Hamotol Basafik, the money which is standing out with the question mark where it should go, Yachloku is divided amongst all the claimants equally. Upato Makaso, there's a rule that if a person strikes his father drawing blood, even if it's subcutaneous blood beneath the skin, meaning a bruise, um, that carries with the death penalty. Of course, that's required to first have um, Adab and Hasra, witnesses and them giving proper warning. That's the usual um, requirement as always. The point is that if, and the same goes if a person curses his father, um, invoking God's name as the one who should be cursing this father. So then again, the penalty, if there's witnesses and warning, is 
capital crime. Um, that being the case, uh, if this son strikes or curses either of his two potential fathers, possible fathers, um, so then he's not liable, even if there were witnesses, even if there was a warning, uh, because, again, maybe it's not his father, in which case maybe he's not subject um, to the capital capital crime. Now, um, for the record, the penalty for striking one's father is chenek, strangulation, whereas the penalty for cursing one's father with a shem Hashem is um, is skila, is stoning. Now, um, interestingly, what happens if he was going to, if even if he was going to, um, uh, he hits them, he hits them both. So he hits, they they warn him, don't hit Mr. A, because he's your father, perhaps, and he says, I don't care. And they tell him, you know, there's a death penalty for that. He says, I don't care, and he hits them anyways. And then after that, he goes straight to Mr. B and does the same thing. So now you might think, oh, he's certainly struck his father, even though we don't know which one it was, he should be liable, because either for A or for Mr. B, even then he wouldn't be liable to the death penalty because the rule is that a warning, which is based on a suffix, like maybe it'll be chayev, um, isn't considered to be a warning. But I should add, if he intends it both of them simultaneously, or curse them both simultaneously, and he's warned, and they say, listen, you'll be certainly liable for one or the other, um, so no suffix anymore, and then he does it hitting them both or cursing them both simultaneously, he talk it would be, would be chayev. Okay, va'olav mishmaro He goes up for the mishmar of each of these two fathers, meaning the kohanim were divided into twenty-four subgroups. Each one's called a mishmar, and they would serve for a week at a time. So let's say Mr. He may be Mr. A son or Mr. B son. He's not sure. So the rule is that let's say Mr. A is part of the first mishmar in the cycle twenty-four, and Mr. B is part of the second mishmar. That means that this kid, the mystery kid, has to go up and serve in the base of Bignesh, both in week one and in week two. And in fact, the Mishmar, each Mishmar, um, like those people could take him to Bezin and force him to come serve, because that's his religious obligation. So he serves twice in the cycle. Ve'enocholik. And nevertheless, he cannot force the Kohanim who are on duty in the Mishmar to give him a share in the, whether it's the meat from the offerings or the the meal from the menachos or the hides from the or from the olos, etc. No, we can't force him anything, because each one will say, They'll say to him, listen, prove to us that you are a member of this Mishmar and we'll give it to you, since he can't prove it, so that he can't force them to give him. Um, but, mishmar echad, if both of the possible fathers, Mr. A and Mr. B, both belonged to the same Mishmar, therefore there's no doubt which Mishmar he should be serving for, so he goes up that week, so then if they're from Mishmar echad, they're from one Mishmar, he gets a single portion and with everyone else in the in the Mishmar, because of course he is certainly a member of that Mishmar, even though we don't know who his father is, we know he certainly belongs to this group. And with that, we finish the eleventh uh, parak of Masechet Yavamos, and now we go on to the twelfth, which discusses the halachas of Chalitza.